My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. You're gonna do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. years that I'm not working Fourth of July. So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch with me, Ashley, the Raspy Dispatcher. Hope you guys are having a wonderful work week for whatever day of the week it is for you. I always think that's funny because everyone's like, happy Friday, happy Wednesday. But the way shift work works, you never really know what day of the week it is. Yesterday was Wednesday, but that is my Friday, which makes today my Saturday. And the only plans I have today are to read. I've already told my fiance, leave me alone. I will not be bothered today. (laughs) I have some books to get through so I can get through my to be read list. (laughs) With all that being said, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. My guest today has spent 17 years as a police dispatcher, also being certified through IAED to answer 911 calls. We're going to talk about so many things today, including reclassification, as well as their business, the Thin Blue Line Memorial Crafts. They're doing some amazing things for family of officers who are killed in the line of duty, as well as first responders who have completed suicide. My guest today, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. How are you? I am good and relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> that is always a good state to be in. <laughs> yes. So, Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into public safety, and where you're at in your journey today. Oh, I come from a police family. My father was a police officer in D.C. with my uncle. Uh, my grandfather was a police officer in D.C. until he was 38 or so, and then he had a heart attack. And back then, when he had a heart attack, he didn't go back out on the road. Oh. So he became a parole officer after that. Hmm. Um. There were hopes that I was going to be the first girl police officer in the family. Um, I lived a life a little too rough, riding horses, driving too fast. Mm. <laughs> that was like, that's perfect for it. <laughs> well, I, I, I hurt myself Aww. and I couldn't be a police officer. Yeah. So kind of gave up for a while. I got married when I was 18. <sighs> Had my first baby and needed a job. Mm. And my uncle said, well, the police department's hiring a dispatcher. Why don't you apply for that? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. (laughs) So I went and I took the test and I interviewed and it took about eight months. And they called me and said, we want you to start in two weeks. I said, whoa. I got to figure out daycare because I was totally not expecting it had been eight months. I thought they didn't want me. Mm. And so I had to arrange daycare and everything. So my oldest was a year old when I started Mm. and he now works. He's a dispatcher at my same agency. He's been there for about a year now. So I love it. I love, I love the, the family involvement in law enforcement and how it's bled over to dispatch in the police department. 
I think it's amazing. It's so cool. Yeah, I think he wants to, in a couple of years, he's probably going to switch to police side. So, yeah. Oh, he's one of those, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was part of the reason for my exit for my current job yeah. and the new job, because I, I can't dispatch him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, yeah, I can only imagine. Like some of uh, my coworkers and, and who have dated, married, the officers that we work with and stuff, and I'm just like, ah, that'd be tough. Like, I'm not involved with them and I, and I care a little bit too much. I couldn't imagine, you know, having a personal relationship outside of work with them like that and having to dispatch them as like a a mother son situation. That's tough. Yeah. I didn't do well teaching him to drive. (laughs) Um, When he started to drive, when I was at work and I knew like the timing was just right, it was in the right spot and there was an accident, I would freak out. Yeah. I would be like, I need to know. I need to know what kind of car that is. He's he's all in patrol and you're watching his speed on the on the CAD and you're like, hey, right. slow, slow down. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> yeah. No. No, I can't. I, I can't do that. So I'm gonna quietly exit into uh US Park Police and be a federal employee. Very cool. Well, I would imagine, you know, if if you're going to leave your kid anywhere, you know what I mean, to be on patrol, leaving them with the folks that you've worked with for 17 years is is a really good position to be in. Yes. I have a few in mind that I hope he gets for his training officer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's first day, like your, your mom put you here. She, she assigned you (laughs) to to us. She's part of your assignments today. I've already told one he has to get his his FTO status so he can teach him. (laughs) So what was it like for you in the beginning? You know, you've been at your agency for 17 years. I think that speaks volumes for for an agency. Not that it's always perfect or that, you know, everything's all sunshine and rainbows. But, you know, staying somewhere for 17 years, especially in this line of work, is, is no feat. Yeah, it was hard. I, I was a relatively new mom. I had stayed home with my oldest for a, a year. He had never been to daycare. Nothing. I was, and I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. The first three months I worked there, I cried on the way to work every day. <laughs> and I was leaving I mean, I him. I cried on the work every day too, but for different reasons. You know? <laughs> the, the, girl that was babysitting him, I was high school friends with. We were like, I don't know. We were, we were best friends. Mm-hmm. We knew everything about each other. And so I had no fear that something was going to happen to him. It's just that I wasn't with him. Made mm-hmm. it more stressful to be in a new place, learning basically a new language mm-hmm. and knew everything. And it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. It, it, and they took their time with me training wise because it was, it was hard. Mm-hmm. I think then our training program was only like three or four months and four months was if you got extended mm-hmm. and I got extended. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that. You here now, you made it through. Right. <laughs> training and is hard, you know, it, it is. Tough. and I tell the new people coming in, it really is. It's like learning a whole new language. Mm-hmm. And when you're learning a new language, people that I've talked to that do linguistics and can speak seven languages 
when they're speaking Spanish or they're speaking Greek or Arabic, they're thinking in that language. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the keys to learning a language is to start to think in it. So when Mm -hmm. you're out and about doing your shopping, driving around, whatever, if you're alone, call out traffic stops, call out tags the way they call them out. If you're not alone and you're in a public setting, just think. <laughs> people will no, no, think no. you're crazy. Call it out loud and then write in and tell us how that went. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you're walking through the grocery store, look at people and give run through your head a suspect description, uh, you know, a foot chase or whatever 10 codes you use for things. Try and see how you can weave them into your life, your everyday life. I used to give my son commands in 10 codes. <laughs> And now he's in dispatch. I mean, are we surprised? I don't. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, training is so tough. And I imagine I would talking to people who have been doing this for so long and realizing that dispatching, right. Hasn't really been a long, been around for that long. And then folks who have been doing this for 17, 25, 30 years have really essentially seen dispatch grow up and change and evolve. And what has that looked like for you? Because I feel like you've, when we talk about changing a dispatch center, folks who have been doing it, like for as long as you have, have really had to change in the dispatch center how what does that look like for you and how how have you been able to uh gracefully do that (laughs) i don't know about gracefully i don't do much gracefully (laughs) but i started in 1999 so our cad screens looked like the dos command prompt oh no (laughs) they were black screens with you know green writing on them um we had one ncic terminal And so if you only had two people, one on each channel, because we have two radio channels, and then you would roll your chair back and forth to the NCIC terminal. Oh, my gosh. I'd trip. I'd hurt myself. I'd stub a toe. I don't know. Something would happen. Something would go wrong. There would be traffic jams. (laughs) We were just fighting over. We had to print a bunch of stuff yesterday. We have two printers. We were fighting over the printer. I couldn't imagine fighting over oh. the NCIC terminal. <laughs> NCIC printed on a dot matrix printer with the little holes down the sides. Gosh. <laughs> we didn't have status monitors. Mm. We just mm. had the CAD screen with the calls that came in and the calls that had been dispatched. Yeah. But no status monitor. So you didn't, you had to keep a running tally in your head of where people were. You know, this one just cleared a traffic stop at this intersection. So he's closer to this call than the guy that cleared this traffic stop. I mean, I I can't even explain to the new people how we did it. Yeah. And how now they have their computers in their cars and they're putting in these patrol checks and clearing them so fast. I have no idea where anybody is. Yeah. Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. Unless I use the map. If, Mm -hmm. if. They allow us to see them on the map because Ooh. some of them are tricky and Choice. turn that feature off. <laughs> Hit the button. <laughs> so it, it's it's hard in that, you know, we learned how to keep that tally. And now there's no way to keep that tally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the yeah. new people have no idea where people are when they dispatch them. 
Yeah. <laughs> so they're constantly, the officers are like, oh, no, I'll take that call because I'm closer. And I'm like, see, this worked better in 1999 because I knew where you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we definitely, you know, we have so much access to our officers with the tech we have today. But you're right. I mean, the way we operate today, I've said it before on here is like, I don't know if I could have done this job, like without the technology, because I've grown up with the technology, you know, but the, but the way you folks would do this job without cell phones, without um, mapping, without rapid SOS deploy, text 911, like the, all these things that just increase our knowledge, increase our officer safety, increase our accuracy. I mean, you guys are legends. Like, <laughs> Oh, I remember my first EMD class mm. when I went to get certified. And the first thing the instructor said is the most important thing that you will learn in this business is that people lie. <laughs> They will lie to you about where they are unintentionally because they maybe they don't know where they are. They will <laughs> lie to you about what's wrong. They will mm. lie to you about who did it. <laughs> and you will feel betrayed. You will feel lied to. <laughs> It'll hurt you and a little your bit. Job, your job is to hear through the lie and tell the officers the truth or the medics or the fire department what's really going on. Mm-hmm. That was the, my introduction. I was going to be a lie detector. Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. <laughs> it's so true though. It is it is so true. People lie. What I think I did a real um it was like I don't know who needs to hear this. People lie. This recorded line doesn't. <laughs> House used to say it when the TV show House came out. Uh huh. He would uh-huh. say it all the time. Yeah. Well, what did they tell you? Well, people lie. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I, and sometimes the officers will get to the scene and they're like, what? What in the world? I'm like, that's what they said. There was a Tyrannosaurus Rex tearing down the building. Like, I don't know what to <laughs> tell you. There's no T Rex. That is what they said. <laughs> I didn't believe them. But some things we just got to tell you they're saying, like, you know, you got to you got to put the context around like our, the reporting party is saying there's a a large green dinosaur running down the street. No other callers like uh, no one right? else is calling it. <laughs> we have an area of our county that's kind of backcountry and swampy and uh-huh. it's been developing over the last 10 years. So we get city folk, as I call them. <laughs> Calling in pterodactyls. Stop it. That they're pterodactyls. What are they really? Really really what it is, is the Maryland state bird is a blue heron. 
Oh, which is kind of like a flamingo, but it's blue gray, bluish gray color. It's not a pterodactyl. <laughs> but it's not a pterodactyl. That's what it looks like when it's flying. It looks kind of like a pterodactyl. They got long necks and a wide wingspan. And that is funny. That is, I feel like that is a call that like a trainee takes on their first day. And they're like, this person's calling it a pterodactyl. And your trainer is probably looking at you like, what are you going to do? <laughs> Figure out how to spell pterodactyl. Yeah. <laughs> it's in it's in your CAD system as the, the quick spell. <laughs> like <laughs> help us. <laughs> Schizophrenic. We don't well, you don't know how to spell that at least at least till a year into your training, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I was gonna say, do you remember any of your first calls for service or early calls? But you just hit me with the pterodactyl call. Do you have any other calls that you remember or funny things? Well, they all did funny things back in the day, but <laughs> well, there's nobody. I probably probably shouldn't tell any of those stories because they're all still living. So. <laughs> um. But yeah, we get the pterodactyl calls. We get um, every, you have those calls that you never forget. Mm -hmm. And even though I don't answer 911 frequently because I'm a police dispatcher where I am, they have 911 fire EMS dispatchers. Oh, okay. And then they have the police dispatchers. Cool. So I'm certified for 911 because we're in the same room, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I don't have to answer it often mm -hmm. anymore. In the old days, we had to answer it more. But um, we still get calls through the police radio when an officer's down. Yeah. Um, I remember, I think it was, I think I'd been there for four years, two years. We had an officer, they had training at the academy mm -hmm. and they were all leaving. And one of our officers was on his motorcycle, personal motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And he got hit by another officer from another agency that was leaving. Oh my gosh. And the sergeant they called it out on the radio is Mr. Cool as a cucumber. Nothing phases him. He can be in a 1080 high speed chase, foot chase, whatever. And he sounds like he's playing golf. Yeah. But his voice that day, I will never forget mm. because we were all the, the officers on the scene that saw him and us hearing him in communications. We all thought he was going to die. Yeah. Yeah. They called a helicopter and took him up to the the trauma the big trauma hospital in Baltimore, mm -hmm. and he he lived. Um, he had a lot of short term memory loss and things like that, so he couldn't be a police officer anymore. Hey. But I will never forget. Mm. And there was no, there was no get up and and go collect yourself. Yeah, because the radio keeps going. People are, I mean somebody was hurt, but life goes on and people are pulling traffic and calls are coming in. And so mm -hmm. that's one I will never forget because I handled it beginning to end. Yeah. Wow. And just the idea of like, yeah, like sometimes we cannot step away, you know, and it just speaks to our need for, you know, staffing our centers and having, you know, that backfill that, that does allow us to, you know, eat, sleep, drink, and take a moment when right. things do impact us. And I know a lot of our centers are running on fumes and are just trying to get through the day. Um, but those things are just so important 
you know, to be able to have that moment when, when things do, uh, do have a, a bad turn that day. Yeah, I think it was about an hour before I could get up and take a smoke break because you know we all smoked back then. <laughs> you weren't at the, you weren't at the console, just. <laughs> well, about a month before I got hired, they they said no more smoking in the building. <laughs> we had to go out back to smoke. <laughs> That's funny. We had a we had a little smoke corner at my other agency too. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Well, talk about the the importance of the work dispatchers do, and um, I believe it's in the news recently about reclassification as a dispatcher. Um, what is it for folks who don't know what reclassification is, and why is it so important? So the the hashtag you need to know <laughs> is we're all about a hashtag here. They ask me right. <laughs> hashtag nine one one saves act. Yes, yes. They just reintroduced it to Congress for the I believe third time this mm-hmm. week. Um, Representative Nora Torres from California is the big proponent. She was a nine one one dispatcher mm-hmm. before she got elected to Congress. So this is a big deal for her. Um, currently, dispatchers, whether you're a 911 dispatcher, a police dispatcher, a call taker, I I believe in my heart of hearts that the even the non-emergency call takers, station clerks, whatever you call them, should be included. Yeah. I don't know if they will be. Mm-hmm. But currently, we are classified as uh, administrative support staff. Mm-hmm. Like secretaries, hotel clerks, taxi cab dispatchers. Um, none of these people have to give life saving instructions over the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's considered a clerical position mm-hmm. because when nine one one first started, they actually had doctors and nurses answering the phones. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> and then they decided, well, that was maybe a, a misuse of their their skills. <laughs> so it, it became the job of in very small towns, some places the sheriff's wife answered the phone um, at her home <laughs> at her home. in the middle of the night. Um, oh, man. But then it became more of a clerical position. The um, records people, you know, they split all these positions up now, but your your station clerks, the people that sit in the station and answer non-emergency phones, that's where it started. Mm-hmm. They file warrants. They did all the records work. They they did everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they dispatched. <laughs> <laughs> but now, now we have dispatchers. We have records technicians. We have station clerks, what, mm-hmm. whatever name you call them by. I'm fine being a dispatcher. I don't care. Yeah. I'm like, there's so but, many things. Dispatcher is easy off the tongue for me. <laughs> in 2018, we bid um, the office of, it's OMB. I forget what the letters stand for. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> they, they're the, the government entity that says what every job is classified as. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, we bid, told them this is not right. We want you to change it. We wanted to be classified as a public safety profession, mm-hmm. and we wanted a title change to public safety telecommunicator. 
Well, they decided that we could be called public safety telecommunicators, but we wouldn't actually be classified under public safety because our job is still a clerical job. I guess because we type. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. I, I have my suspicions why this has taken so long to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we are a predominantly female field. Very true. Mm-hmm. And so, meh, who cares? Mm-hmm. Is usually the feeling on that. <laughs> no, it's true. It's totally true. So mm-hmm. since the bid was knocked down in 2018, we cannot rebid with OMB until 2028. They only do it every 10 years. Wow. So <sighs> now they're trying to get the bill through Congress to force OMB to reclassify us despite the 10 years not being up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because if Congress says it must be so, then it must be so. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fancy of them? <laughs> Um, I believe the first two times that it was introduced, the Senate signed off on it, but Congress could not agree to it. They have tried to put it in as part of the um, National Defense NDAA. National, I forget what that stands for, too. I think it acronyms. You know what? We just need to know the phonetics. <laughs> you know, what's this dispatch lingo? We don't so, need to know what it stands for. The national budget. They have tried to put it in as part of the National Defense Act on the on the budget. Mm-hmm. Every year. Mm-hmm. And it, it they're no. It's mm-hmm. no every time. It gets sliced because somebody else makes a deal about something. And, well, if I make a deal about this, then you have to cut that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it gets trimmed every time. And during COVID, it was, it was stagnant. It was dying on the floor because there were bigger things to think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, the bill reclassifies us, but it also sets up funding for next-gen 911. Mm-hmm. The plan, the ideal plan is to get every dispatch center in the United States on the same page at the same technology level. Mm. You still have some centers in Alabama. I think, what did I read? 25% of dispatch centers in Alabama still work with paper and pen. They have no computer-aided dispatch. It is wild. It's wild. So the idea to fund this that the um, FCC came up with is to sell some of the broadband space. Mm to fund the millions and millions of dollars it's going to cost to build up the infrastructure with all these agencies to get 911 work, everybody working on the same level of technology mm-hmm. because some places don't have rapid SOS. Mm-hmm. Um, I know at my agency, we still get calls because we're a, we're surrounded by water. Mm-hmm. We still get calls bouncing across the Potomac river from Virginia Mm, wow. So somebody calls 911 in Woodbridge, Virginia, and it will call 911 in our county. Oh, no. Because <laughs> it hits our tower that's on the river. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when they do cell phone pings for suicidal subjects along the border in Virginia, it'll ping mm-hmm. on one of our towers. It doesn't mean that they're in our county, though. Yeah, that's rough. <sighs> so next gen 911 aims to fix that but Mm -hmm. in order to get that rolling we have to get everybody up to the same level or it doesn't work Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's part of the package too yeah and that means somebody's gonna have to spend money and they don't like that yeah no one likes (laughs) money but it's it's always it's always so crazy to me that 
we I remember that's one of the things when I came into this line of work when I found out we weren't classified as first responders in my baby dispatch stage. <laughs> I was so and some still don't know. Yeah, <laughs> just I was so confused, and uh, thankfully in California, on a state level, we've been reclassified um, to to fall under that uh, definition. But you're right; like just because we type does not mean like that we're clerical staff. You know, I'm helping someone get their infant baby to stop choking. I'm, you know, talking to someone who's son was just shot and I'm trying to figure out who the suspect is. I'm listening to a partner harm their partner for 10 minutes while my officers are driving there. I mean, these are things that my receptionists at my dental office are not having to deal with, you know, or in the grand, in the the grand, you know, this never happens balloon. You have dispatchers listening to people taking their last breaths in the twin towers. Yeah, my gosh. Yeah. You have dispatchers listening to the last words to somebody's loved one on an airplane that crashed in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these these people got no recognition mm-hmm. and are ever barely mentioned. I think there's a documentary out there about the, the dispatchers from 9-11. I believe so. Yeah. Um, but there were... There was never news coverage about what these people, these amazing people did. And some of them are still working in the profession and some of them still yeah. at the same agency, which astounds me that that day did not destroy them. Yeah. They should get medals if they're still there. Because Seriously. The, because it the is dispatchers- such a second thought. Mm-hmm. Hmm? It's such a second thought, right? Like when the thing happens, whatever that thing is, whether it's like, you know, 9-11 or... Um, an active shooter or, uh, you know, it's where we, the public does not have a realization that by the time the thing hits the news, by the time the officers arrive on scene, the dispatchers have already been knee deep in the thing for at least 10, 15 minutes, depending on the response time and where you are and, you know, if we're out there in, in more rural communities, like, you know, maybe even longer. But by the time it's hitting the news, by the time the officers are on scene, dispatchers have been dealing with it. They've been, you know, uh, trying to narrow down suspects, try, starting the EMS. They've been doing all of these things. And the aftermath is always, there's no recognition of that aspect of the event. Uh, they'll, they'll pull 911 recordings. Unless you mess up. Unless you mess up. If you mess so up, true. you're on everybody's list. Yeah, then all of a sudden we're talking about dispatchers and their need to be better. And it's like, you know, we we need we need both sides of the coin. We need to be acknowledged when we're doing this amazing, awesome work, when we're we're doing things that are really impacting and saving folks' lives. As well as, yeah, we need to be called out when we we do a poor job and we can learn from that, of course. But man, we do need to be recognized for the things that we're doing daily because there's so many things that don't even make the news. You know what I mean? Right. And then there, you know, there, there are states that have legislation. I think there's 21 now that have some kind of legislation on the books. Mm-hmm. And that makes the, the map look pretty red when they color the states in red for all the states that have done it. I know in Maryland, they always color our state red. Like we're considered first responders here. Mm. They got real tricky in Maryland. 
Hmm. We're considered, they decided to call us 911 specialists. And you're a 911 specialist. If you dispatch for a law enforcement agency and you are licensed in some way by the state, which we have to be, that's why I have to be certified in all of the EMD things, EMD, EMD, EPD, all the letters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then we have to prove to the state that we're certified. And then they will give us a state letter, a state level certification card that says in Maryland, we're allowed to be an emergency dispatcher. Wow. So they decided to call us all 911 mm-hmm. specialists. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we're only considered first responders for the retirement tax break that they offer first responders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the first $15,000 of your retirement income is not taxed. Hmm. Um, property tax discounts, which my county does not participate in. Of course. That's how it always works out. You know? <laughs> and for mental health access, mm-hmm. access to mental health services. And that's it. Important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. They were they were very specific. Some little leprechaun wrote these bills very specifically. <laughs> the wording is very specific. So yeah. it's not for all things we're considered first responders. It's just for those these few things that they wanted to be very specific about. And yeah. you'll find that if you look at the bills from other states, some of the other states are like that too. It's only for this or it's only for that. Mm-hmm. Why well, I don't care about the tax break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. You know, and some of my officers don't even understand. I'm, and lieutenants and captains in my agency don't understand why we're not classified as public safety. Didn't know it. Yeah. And in the state of Maryland, it can affect grant money. Mm, yeah. Um, for things like their DUI assignments, warrant suites, if they want a dedicated dispatcher, they can't put that salary on grants that come from federal money. U.S. Marshal Service, things like that, because we are not public safety. Yeah. Wow. So then that puts them in danger mm-hmm. because now you have a dispatcher with a split focus. Mm-hmm. And when you have a warrant sweep where you're hitting six houses all at one time and you have to be on a regular channel or on a secure unmonitored channel with no dispatcher, that can pose a problem. Mm-hmm. So... It affects more than just our benefits. Yeah. And our access to mental health, which are very important, but mm-hmm. also the safety of our officers. Mm-hmm. And a yeah, lot of people don't understand that either. Yeah, I honestly I, I wouldn't even have thought, you know, that that far into the weeds of how the trickle down effect really does happen. And I mean, I think it's one of those things where if you're not dealing with it, you're not impacted by it that you don't realize that it's a thing. And I think that's probably the problem with getting these bills pushed through. It's like, if you're someone who's never had to deal with a life or death emergency, I had to contact 911, had to be on hold because there's not enough dispatchers to answer the phone. You're not going to realize how important this, this bill is, this act is, this reclassification. When you're directly impacted by these things, and you you've had experience with a, a good dispatcher you've had experience with a poor dispatcher you know you're going to be more invested in you know that process um but we shouldn't have to have trauma to make change you know right. like <laughs> that shouldn't be and the what, goal. <laughs> what angers me i get i get angry 
because we have two major professional associations, APCO and NINA. Yes. They're supposed to be professional associations. Correct. That's what they started as, mm-hmm. to advocate, to get grant money. to, mm-hmm. And now they have pivoted a little bit into training. Mm-hmm. They get they get a lot of money for these center manager courses and things that they have created, which are very good. Mm-hmm. They cost a lot of money. They're, so they're making money. Mm-hmm. So now they're not an advocacy group so much as they are a training company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can and see I that. think that um, I know in the state of Maryland, because we are licensed, our licensure ent- entity, this Maryland, we call it MIMS. I don't remember what it stands for again. <laughs> Everyone's going to be with their acronyms Googling at the end of this, including right. me. <laughs> it's the Maryland EMS something, something, but they're the ones that do our licensure. Mm-hmm. Um, they've decided that, uh, and the state of Maryland has decided that everybody that's in public safety has to take a bias class. Okay. Cool. We're not considered public safety. Oh. But Nina has developed a telecommunicators course, a bias class specifically for dispatchers. Mm -hmm. So the state of Maryland says we're taking this one from Nina. Okay. My issue is, is why didn't Nina say to them, well, in the state of Maryland, your dispatchers are not considered public safety. Mm. So if you're requiring all of public safety to take this and they're not public safety, then maybe we shouldn't teach that class in that state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, it gets the state to think. Yeah. Like a pushback on the realities is like this training is good. We're not saying the training is not uh, needed, accessible, or hey, <laughs> you know, well, like training and, and, knowledge is good. But if I'm not classified, what, am, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? And when like, I went to this class, that is. Mm-hmm especially for dispatchers. Now this, this part is not on Nina. This is on the agency that hosted the class. There were people in there that were not dispatchers. Mm, There were, there was an animal control officer in my class. There were some EMS people in my class. And one of them did not even know what the word telecommunicator meant. She thought it was somebody that worked from home. I wish. (laughs) So I feel like Nina could be a little more discerning Mm. and a little more educating when they're asked to teach these classes Mm -hmm. and say, this is specifically for dispatchers. So only dispatchers should be in this class. I know that other personnel need a bias class, but this is not the class for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your state doesn't consider them public safety. So you're a little confused about this. Let me explain to you how this works. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I think nice. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Nina, APCO, like these are all, you know, groups that are, created for dispatchers are uh, built a lot of dispatchers are in these roles. Um, and we should be able to freely provide constructive criticism back to these organizations that are representing us in these spaces, you know, and if that's been your experience with them, it's valid. You know what I mean? Like it's valid, you know, I- it needs to be said the PR that surrounds all of this reclassification, I don't understand why somebody doesn't go to, they had all these TV shows now with dispatchers in them, live ones, fictional ones. Mm -hmm. I've heard, I think a 10 second blurb on 911 on Fox Mm -hmm. by Jennifer Love Hewitt about reclassification in like the first season she was on it. What season two? Mm -hmm. 
Just this little tiny 10 second blurb. Yeah. Nothing since. Nothing on 911 Austin. Mm -hmm. None of the police shows. Some of the police shows, you never even see a dispatcher. <laughs> What's a dispatcher? <laughs> right? You see them, uh, I think on Chicago Fire a couple of times, they went into the communication center. Mm -hmm. But they really, it was just like a backdrop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so there's our clerical staff. Just plug it away. <laughs> Bosh, LAPD. They they've got 79 PSAPs in LA. LA yeah. County has 79 PSAPs. Yeah, LA's wild. When I got a call you know, out there, they, like, you never see one of them in Bosh. Yeah, not one of them. Mm -hmm. I have heckled Titus Welliver on Twitter on, on Twitter a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, love I have actually been on there today heckling some of these actors and actresses that are on cop shows uh -huh. that are, you know, they're bragging that the SAG after strike is over. Yes. Yes. So here's me. Well, if you have any energy left over or maybe a little anger that you could share around America's dispatchers would appreciate it. You know, <laughs> if you just help the 911 saves act for us. <laughs> Man, Jennifer's Jennifer's pushing it where it needs to be pushed on Twitter with the with the actors. The actors, the actors, the politicians. It. I tag my state reps in it. Yes. Good for you. You know, it's it's needed though. Like there's there's a lot of, like we said, dispatchers who still don't really understand the reclassification process, how important it is. Citizens don't realize how important it is and how it all trickles down to creating comm centers that are well-prepared, well-funded, well-trained to help our community. You know, I think you if you Google 911 dispatcher news, like the first five things are going to be low staffing, you know, long wait times, um, terrible situations. Yeah. I mean, and all that comes from... <laughs> not having a standard across the board. No, you're fine. Not having a standard across the board, you know, and we, we need to, the place in Alabama should have the same access to the general technology that I have in my CAD center. And, you know, from New York to Iowa to, you know, all across the state, there should be a, you know, high standard, a bottom line that we have a CAD system, we have a locating um, software, and we have access to text 911 because it's inclusive and it should be accessible. Well, there are people, John Q. Public out there that have no idea how 911 works. Yeah. They think that it's like calling ADT, one national center for everything. Like you call yeah. and they just know where you are. Yeah. People just don't know how 911 works and it works differently everywhere. In Germany, they they have a national 911 system, but they still have small centers all over the country. Interesting. Um, but they also, and a lot of people didn't know this, I, we lived in Germany for six years. My okay. husband is a civilian for the Air Force and his job took us to Germany. Very cool. And they were just starting to get protocols at the German 911 centers. Mm. Um, and a lot of the military people didn't know that they could call the German 911, which I think was 311, I think. <laughs> I'm like, oh. um, and they would speak English mm. because they require that their 911 dispatchers speak English and German mm. because there are so many American bases in Germany and Americans 
in Germany working. Mm, yeah. So they would call the base special forces police mm. if they had an emergency but lived off base. Yeah. So wow. the base was getting 911 calls. <laughs> <laughs> and they had like just, you know, your E1 and your E2 that are sitting in the dispatch center overnight and they're yeah. <laughs> getting calls for somebody's baby is not breathing and they're like we we're going to transfer you to 911 because we don't know what yeah, to do. Yeah, like uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Let me get to something else. Sometimes the call would transfer, sometimes sometimes the call would drop. Ugh. Right. I so um IAED was moving into Germany for the Germans at the time and I knew somebody that I used to train with when I worked at the sheriff's office. And so I'm like, you need to talk to the the military, the Air Force, about getting protocols for these guys in in, spe- in the special forces, mm-hmm. in the police, the MPs, because they're getting calls and they don't know what to do. And yeah. if they transfer them and it drops, then then what? Yeah, scary. So they at least need to keep them on the phone. And if if it's somewhere where you have something where you have to give CPR instructions or something and give those instructions while somebody else calls to get emergency services there. Mm-hmm. Because if you try to transfer that call and it drops and you can't call them back, then what happens? Yeah, that's they scary. They put the car and they drive to the hospital yeah. on base because they don't know where the German hospital is. Yeah, oh my gosh. You know, so they did end up getting protocols, at least the base that we were at. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it went wide. I'm, I'm pretty sure it went wide, but. Yeah. But how cool to... to- See something um, that can be improved and have some knowledge, you know, behind behind that and, and be able to give some feedback. And it's just them putting those protocol in, you know it saved lives. Like, you know, without knowing of a specific incident, you know creating that standard has improved the ability to save lives when those calls are coming into that center, even though they're not technically, you know, a 911 uh, right establishment, you know. It was something to do while I was making babies and raising them. You know, this is also something that I did in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk about something else that you you do. Um, tell us about the Thin Blue Line Memorial Crafts and what you got going on there. So the very first thing that I made was a shawl. We lost one of our police officers, Corporal Claggett, on his way home from work. He got in an accident and didn't survive. Um, and that was my first line of duty death. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, I've been doing this since 1999, and this was 2014. So this was, mm-hmm. we haven't lost an officer in a line of duty in a long time. Yeah. And this was my first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made a shawl. A, a black shawl with a thin blue line for his mom. It's not the same pattern we use now because I wanted hers to be hers. Yeah. And my sister made a shawl pin for it to, to hold it closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first one I made. And then that was December, 2014. And then in March of 2016, the County just North of us had an active shooter incident at one of their stations And one of their officers was killed by what turned out to be friendly fire. 
Wow. It was just crossfire. Yeah. And um, I went to his funeral and I gave his mom the shawl with the pattern I now use for all of them. Mm-hmm. And I came home that day and I thought, you know, I can't just do this, you know, when I feel like doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I talked to one of my friends that also crocheted. And at the time she, she helped me get it started. She's like, well, let's do it. Let's start a Facebook group. Let's, let's, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So we did that same day. We started the Facebook group and I started sending out items and, the first, the first big one was the the shooting in Texas mm. with the, the five officers that were killed in Texas. Yeah. Those are my first items that went out. And it took me forever to get them all together. I, I did, I want to say six Shaws because one of the, um, the daughters of one of the police officers was a late teens. And I didn't mm-hmm. think I made stuffies for the little kids, yeah. little stuffed police officers for the little kids mm-hmm. and shawls for their wives and a shawl for one of the older teenage girls. Mm-hmm. And it took me probably a month to get everything done and together. Yeah. And at that point I was like, well, if I'm going to keep doing this, if I'm going to get one to everybody, mm-hmm. then I need help. Cause I can't possibly crochet. All yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if I just went from the list that the Officer Down Memorial page puts out, mm-hmm. I cannot keep up. It's so unfortunate, right? Right. Yeah. So I make blankets if it's um, um, a female mm-hmm. officer and for her husband or dad or brother, whatever mm-hmm. she has. I mean, if she has a mother, I'll do a shawl for mom. Um, usually for the male officers, it's a wife, a mom, you know. But mm-hmm. if it's a, if I know for a fact that the the next of kin is a male, I'll send a blanket. Mm-hmm. If I know it's a female, I'll send a shawl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I send hats and scarves to people that were involved in a shooting and just injured or mm. the officer that helped or tried to help the officer that got shot or just cause it makes me cry and I have to do something. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Um, I do more. take requests. Mm-hmm. So um, for officer suicide or first responder suicide, I do take requests. If you want an item for a family, I do gold line, blue line, red line, whatever color line, military, EMS. I don't care. Mm-hmm. The silver one, I still haven't worked that out. I guess it'll have to be gray. <laughs> Light gray. I haven't made one of those yet. But I have done some gold line ones. Um, but mostly I work from the list that Officer Down Memorial page mm. puts out. Because that's that's everybody. That's all the line of duty desks. They, mm-hmm. they don't have an accurate enough list mm-hmm. for the, the suicides. Yeah. Um, there's blue, I think it's called blue health that has a website, but that's an opt-in kind of thing. That's not, no. that doesn't report everybody. Cause that's a sensitive thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, and I usually send it to the chief or the sheriff or, you know, whoever's at the top of the food chain at the agency mm-hmm. and with a letter asking them to deliver it for me. Yeah. Um, if, if it's local, I might go to the funeral myself and deliver it or have one of my officers take it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But 
COVID was a real kick in the pants. Yeah. I did not get to, I had to actually separate the COVID deaths from the line of duty deaths on the list because they were all going, I mean, they were, they were line of duty deaths. They were on the officer down memorial page, but there was literally no way. Yeah. Even with other people crocheting that I could keep up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it was, it was too much. Yeah. 2019, I got to every single one on Officer Down Memorial page. Every single family got an item. Yeah. When COVID happened, that all went out the window. Gosh, yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. I mean, just the it's it's such a small things matter, right? Like just being recognized, uh, someone taking the time to do a thing without being asked or benefiting from it other than you know your heart being full um those things do mean a lot to so many people and i imagine that all of the items that you've sent out um that you've gifted that you've uh gave to folks hangs on a wall sits on a sits on a bed you know um, really being. I hope it doesn't forth. hang on a wall because I really hope they get used. <laughs> <laughs> well, the blanket, the blanket. I mean, uh, <laughs> I guess not on a wall. Want, you're right. So I want them to wrap up and be cozy. Yes, they're 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 receiving hugs from your crochet, and um, I think it's an awesome thing that you're doing. How do folks find you to make those requests or see the items that you're sending and see the work that you're doing? Well, we I have a Facebook page that. You can message. I have Instagram that you can message. Um, I have a website that I think has all the links to the the social things. Awesome. Um, but it's Thin Blue Line Memorial Crafts. If you Google it, it will come up. <laughs> hey. and, I'll put, and I'll put the links in the video as well. So don't freak out, everybody. It'll be there as well. <laughs> well, that it, it really is amazing. You know, I really do enjoy when um, dispatchers, people find something that they enjoy doing. I cannot crochet. Um, <laughs> it would be a problem if I start making crochet stuff. <laughs> so, but some of your fellow dispatchers may crochet and if oh, they would like to, to help, blankets <laughs> are the big need right now. I have yes. I think, 22 blankets on my list that are needed. Oh my gosh. I will, after this, after we record this, I'll put out a blast on our my Facebook pages and stuff to see if we can get some folks um, connected with you to help. Um, because it is amazing when dispatchers pour into the thing that makes them happy and put it back out into the world. Um, however, however that looks, it looks different for everybody, right? For you, yep. it's, the, it's the crocheting and sending it to the folks who've really been impacted um, by committing to this line of work. And it's just a wonderful thing to see. And, um, I look forward to hopefully getting more people to assist you in uh, making these blankets and these items for folks. That would be awesome. Yes. yes. And if anybody, if anybody knows anybody that knows how to set up a 501 C three, I am not smart enough or rich enough. I don't know what might be able to look into that one. I'll look into that one. I might, I have some folks who are, uh, who are doing that currently. Um, but um, as we come to a close, and this episode has been wonderful, honestly. I mean, I probably say that every episode, but it's true. <laughs> like, I get to learn so much from everyone who comes on here um, through your guys' experience, through your journeys. 
And I'm just so thankful for it. And the last thing that I ask everybody when they come onto the show is, what advice would you give someone who is considering a career in this match? Be prepared for long hours and pay that's not so great. Maybe <laughs> equal sometimes. Um, but it's an important job. And it's a rewarding job. No worries. And in the end, it is worth it. Um, be patient with yourself. Give yourself some grace when learning. And even the old dogs, give yourself some grace too. <laughs> We can't always be perfect. <laughs> it's so, so, so true. Jennifer, thank you again for coming onto the show, for your career, everything you've done thus far, and then Blue Line Memorial Crafts, all the things. You are appreciated, and I've learned so much from you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, I'll be right back with you, okay? Okay. All right, everybody. That was another amazing episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch. Jennifer, thank you so much uh, for your service for the Thin Blue Line Memorial Crafts. Like I was telling Jennifer, find something you guys like to do outside of the Dispatch Center and find a way to mold it to affect the, the world of dispatch. You know, um, for me, it's the Raspy Dispatcher and helping folks get into this field, uh, building community with current and aspiring dispatchers. Uh, for Jennifer, it is Thin Blue Line Memorial Crafts, crocheting and giving something back to folks who have been affected by officers killed in the line of duty or folks who have completed suicide. All these things matter and it is awesome when we're able to give back to our communities. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Check the information section of this video for all the links of where to find Jennifer and the amazing things that she is doing. And until next time, stay raspy, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Let's Talk Dispatch, a Raspy Dispatcher production. If you like the podcast, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave a five-star review, and of course, tell a friend. If you want to be a guest, head to the raspydispatcher.com and check out our additional resources. Until next time, stay raspy, everybody.